Uh, it's one of those movies that they can probably never, that can probably never escape its reputation, and for good reason, but I still find it to be super interesting for its own reasons. Uh, deals with arguably the ultimate boys club, but it has a very uh, interesting women's perspective in the narrative as well. Uh, it is an exploration of a lifestyle where everything comes pretty easy, and how it can all fall apart at the drop of a hat. The movie is Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. Oh, okay. And it is a movie that I don't necessarily love as much as the first time I saw it, but I still find fascinating for different reasons. And I'm very excited to hear your first-time viewer's take on it. Um, yeah, Goodfellas, and um, I'm, I'm very excited to just discuss it. Okay, excited Sounds to watch fun. it. How long is it? What's the runtime? Oh, like 13 hours and 20 minutes or something <laughs> like that. But a movie, it's a fast 13 hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I know I'd go from rags to riches. Hello and welcome back to K Have You Seen? My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And uh, this week we are diving into another, uh, I would say, classic, modern classic. More or less, I think that, I think you would at least agree, Kari, that this is a movie that many people would consider one of the more memorable films of the uh, of the 90s and really of uh, of the latter half of the 20th century, realistically. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is considered an American classic and I definitely see why. Yeah, and uh, the movie that we're talking about this week, of course, is Goodfellas uh, from 1990, a movie that I feel like probably most of our listeners have seen, and I would bet that almost everybody that is listening has at least heard of it and knows a little something about it. The last half, I would definitely agree. The first half, I think maybe there's a pretty specific demographic that has definitely seen this, and then some, most people probably have heard of it and... Hmm. Have or haven't seen. Interesting. Okay. Well, now, before we uh, get into it, Kari, I, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Would you be so kind as to kind of summarize this movie? Since this was your first time watching this film, could you summarize it for us in your own words? We follow Henry, mm -hmm. who is sort of grows up into this group of um, wise guys, good fellas, who I guess by the end of the movie, I realized are not actually... They're not in the mob. They are just gangsters. We can talk about that yes, distinction about later. That. But um, so he grows up into becoming this this wise guy, this mobster. And yeah, we kind of just follow his life. So as he kind of meets his wife, gets married, is in this family as she adjusts to being in this big Italian quote unquote family. Um, and as they kind of go through their trials and tribulations and then eventually end up in witness protection because he is ratted on basically his like his family or what's left of it because there's very few people left alive by the right. end but yeah it's kind of it's kind of just a a day in the life or a, a I don't know what you call that for a full lifetime but we're slice kind of, of life yeah yeah a slice of life story for one guy who happens to be a gangster in the Bronx. No, Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Queens, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, their description. Uh, let's see. Martin Scorsese explores the life of organized crime with this gritty, kinetic adaptation of Nicholas Pileggi's best-selling Wise Guy, the true-life account of mobster and FBI informant Henry Hill. Set to a true-to-period rock soundtrack, the story uh, details the rise and fall of Hill, a half-Irish, half-Sicilian New York kid who grows up idolizing the wise guys in his Brooklyn neighborhood. He begins hanging around the mobsters, running errands, doing odd jobs until he gains the notice of local chieftain. And this is a very, very, very long description. But That's pretty long, you maybe. basically got it. it is, yeah, it's like a two-and-a-half-hour deal. Yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 95% fresh. 97% audience score. So virtually universally beloved by people who care enough to rate things on the internet. So that's that's basically the the background on it. Um, again, I feel like a lot of people are kind of familiar with this film. What, what, what was your familiarity with this movie? Like as going in cold, what was your familiarity with this movie and um, what what were you expecting? Um, I was familiar with it as part of the kind of American gangster canon of, I guess, the night. I guess it kind of ranges like 70s to 90s. Yeah. There were a lot of films that 
fall into it was like there was like a gangster movie I don't want to say Renaissance because it just kind of popped up every here and there between like right. the Godfather and this. I right. Gangs of New York, all those kind of all in one family. So I was aware of it as a part of that. I think I knew like if I had been hard pressed to tell you anything about it, I'm not sure I would have remembered specifics, but I did vaguely know that this is the one where he um, is basically a stool pigeon and goes to the FBI or it turns out the FBI kind of takes him in. But I, I knew this is the one where he ends up reporting on the FBI, to the FBI, I mean. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I realized sort of there were a couple moments in the movie that I knew of, but if you had asked me what movie they had come from, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Specifically the, um, like, do I amuse you? Am I clown to you? Yeah. What do you mean funny? That whole sequence, I was like, oh, okay, I know this. But if you had asked me where it came from, I probably would have said, like, The Godfather. Yeah, strong contender for the most famous scene out of the whole movie. Um, definitely probably the one that has the most, um, you know, hard-to-place-it appeal for pe- or, or, or recognizability even among people that haven't seen the movie, like mm-hmm. like yourself. And we can definitely talk about that, how, like, this movie has definitely seeped into, like, a major cultural touchstone in a lot of different ways. But, yeah, that one, that scene in particular with Joe Pesci, it's it's everywhere and i feel like it's parodied a lot even today and um yeah i mean it's definitely become just kind of part of like the popular culture vernacular more or less right that scene i think seconded by the um the scene where he walks through the bar and introduces everyone that has been parodied a million times over and i was like oh okay i can think of a bunch of times where they've used that and now i get it now i see where that comes from yeah, and um, for myself, anyway, like, I watched this movie pretty young. I mean, I've, I've mentioned before how, like, when I was growing up, my parents didn't really let me watch, like, even PG-13 movies, let alone R-rated movies. But then, like, something happened when I turned, like, 13, and they just stopped caring, um, which they're both going to be listening to this episode. I mean, they may not even remember that, but it's a thing. Um, and this is one of the first movies, the first R-rated movies that I watched when I was allowed to watch R-rated movies. And, you know, I was, like, 13, 14 years old. And I was, I feel like that was too young, but not because of the content. I feel like that was too young to fully appreciate what all was going on in this movie. Mm. Um, I did not latch onto a lot of details. There were a lot of things I did not pick up on. Um, Actually, I really didn't even follow the plot so much, really. It seemed, so to me, it seems like this movie, and and, and I'm curious about your opinion on this once we get a little bit farther in, but... Whether, whether or not you had this opinion as well, that this movie seems very episodic. Or it seemed that way maybe just to me because I remember it that way. It was like, it wasn't it wasn't like when I watched this movie as a youngster, it was like, I remember my impression was not so much, this happened, so this happened, so this happened. It was more like, this happened, and then this other thing happened, and then this other thing happened, and then this other thing happened. You know, so like a Christmas story. It's like yeah. all the things that happen aren't necessarily related. They're kind just... of a stream of consciousness type. It really is like there are a lot of these things are connected, but I could see how you can miss it when you're a kid because sure. it's very subtle. Like yeah. he just offhandedly mentions why different things happen. And you're like, oh, that's because of that thing that we have already seen. But it's never clear, like. No one walks in and shoots someone being like, that's for Billy. Like, that's for what happened at the beginning of the movie. But you, it's alluded to. And I think it was because, uh, partly because I was, I had watched a few other like gangster type movies before that I thought were a little bit more, they were much more of the Hollywood style in that, what you just described. Um, and so I was kind of expecting that. So I was really more latching on to things like somebody got shot and somebody did this and somebody sold this to that person and they stole that. It wasn't like the mundane aspects of day-to-day life where one thing leads to another leads to another, which I think is one of the most impressive things about this movie is that it it shows the glamour, quote-unquote, in an unglamorous way. And so there's a lot of things that like are true to life and that is one thing about this film is that apparently, like, according to people that know what they're talking about much more than myself, this movie is very, very close to the actual events that happened in Henry Hill's life. Henry Hill, real person. Um, and this movie is very, very close to the things that it is depicting. Um, with a few minor tweaks here and there for storytelling. But anyway, but that, that true to life aspect of it was something that like I, that naturalistic presentation didn't really connect with me as much when I was a young film viewer, which I picked up on much more now. Gotcha. Um, but like little things, like for example, this is the, I've seen this movie probably a dozen times. This is the first time that I realized that when 
Henry is selling cigarettes out of the back of that truck as a kid, mm-hmm. that the other kid is Tommy. It's Tommy. The okay. Joe Pesci character. Mm-hmm. Didn't pick up on that until this week when I watched it again. Well, part of that, I didn't, I thought Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro were like pretty close in age. Yes. Are they? In real life, I think they're very close in age. Okay. Because they, uh, they set it up in the movie to be like, he's probably 20 years older than <laughs> Joe Pesci's character. Pro- uh, 15, 15, 15 yeah. years older. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because one thing I didn't put in the outline, but I put in my own notes was that like everybody is playing so much younger than they actually are. Yeah. Like the first, the first scene, like when you meet Robert De Niro, who plays Jimmy Conway in the voiceover that runs throughout, Henry Hill is saying like, he couldn't have been more than 28 or 29 when Robert De Niro is clearly 50 years old in that scene. Well, the first time he goes out on a, Henry goes out on a date with Karen, not the first time, but in yeah. one of Karen's voiceovers, she says that he's 21. Yeah, and I'm like, after that just... guy is 35 years old. Yeah, him and uh, Joe Pesci, who's supposed to be the same age, yeah. who is clearly in his 40s. Uh-huh. And like, there we and the, the funniest part is that at this point, we've been with Henry and Tommy for... 30 minutes of the movie and then Karen says there I didn't think it was weird for a 21 year old kid to have that much money and I was like what no way and you didn't think it was weird that he's a 21 year old kid like that part didn't surprise you I'd be like of course that 35 year old dude has uh, his money oh wait he's 21 oh yeah okay yeah (laughs) he's like yeah he's got a reasonable amount of money for a 35 year old oh 21 wait when were you yeah Um, that being said, though, I do think this movie did a really good job aging people up and down. Like, following True. the age, just makeup-wise. It wasn't, like, ridiculous prosthetics or oh, anything. Oh, yeah. They made Ray Liotta look really young at the very beginning. Yeah. Like, when, then, he was, when, like when he was selling those cigarettes and blowing up those cars, like, they made him look extremely young. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, and even the kid that played him when he was young. Wait, that like, was a kid? I, oh, oh uh, shit. Um, yeah, he... I mean, they did. He did look really young in his first he did, couple he scenes. Did, yeah. But yes, no, the the kid that played him was like spot on, like the eyes especially, but the whole thing, I could totally believe it. And then Robert De Niro, like when we first meet him, I mean, he does maybe look considerably younger. Yeah. By yes. the end, he's got the gray hair. Yeah. He definitely looks like he's aged. And I don't know. I thought they did that well. But mm-hmm. before we get too far, yes. I want to know what did you expect my reaction would be to this movie? I wasn't sure. Honestly, I didn't know if this was like, I, I I don't know a ton about your preference in movies. This doesn't seem like your kind of movie. This seems more like the kind of movie you would have watched out of some kind of obligation because it was something <laughs> you just thought you should have seen. Oh, which, okay. Am I, am I wrong about that? Well, I mean, that's literally what happened. <laughs> but um, I actually thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Good, okay. Yeah, so it's, I've talked to you about this, probably off mic, but long movies, there's definitely, okay, for this whole movie, you're right, This there is definitely inertia for me to watch this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't tend to go for long movies. I don't tend to go for very, like, action-y, yeah. bro-y kind of movies. Which this one is much the latter. It is, yeah, and so I... Would yeah, it would have been I would have been hard pressed to ever watch this of my own volition. Mm-hmm. But watching this, I actually really enjoyed it, and and now you own mostly, it. You can enjoy it. Now I own it on Amazon. <laughs> and actually, this is we'll get back to that too. But um, my brother owned it because I think he went through a really similar period when he was probably around the same age of like we will talk about I this at length. Yes. Gangster movies, but so I really enjoyed it because of that slice of life. Like it felt like an anthropological study of gangsters. Like, if you were Margaret Mead or Jane Goodall, like, just dropped in the middle Mm -hmm. of the Italian gang in Brooklyn, this, I I thought that was so interesting. And I, like, you know, I, my second major in college was anthropology. I'm very interested in that kind of thing. So I, I enjoyed it specifically for that reason. I thought it was, like, just fascinating to follow the things that, of course, there's some pretty major plot points, but Mm -hmm. just even the, like, oh, this is how this works like this is what your life looks like it's very nuts and bolts it's very nuts and bolts and also very personal at the same time yeah by the way one uh, quick point of information is that um you mentioned earlier that like you found out at the end that this was just gangsters and not actually the mafia right so that's not strictly correct okay that part i was confused about now granted and we'll discuss this as well i'm sure there is a lot of information that gets thrown at you with like the voiceover and everything like that especially like they throw so many names and details at you all at once and some are important some are not so the way this breaks down is that these guys i mean he kind of he uses the term gangster like you never hear the word mafia Mm -hmm. but 
You don't even really hear the term gangster. He says, like, He's, wise guys yeah, and yeah. good fellows and all that stuff. He says at the beginning, that was, like, his first line you know, in the voiceover in the movie is, for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Okay. So, the way it breaks down is that these guys that he works directly with are mid to lower level guys in a very large mafia organization. Including but, Jimmy and Polly, like, they're yes, low level? So, yeah. So, Polly is a... Um, I don't really know how to describe it without using like military analogies, but he is like he's like a captain or a colonel. So he reports to higher level guys who are running the whole organization, but his area to cover is just this area within Brooklyn and Queens and whatever. Now Jimmy and uh Henry, as they talk about, are half Italian or half Italian, half Irish. Mm-hmm. And so they're neither one of them can actually be like members of like the mafia family, right? Which made, is quote unquote, made men. Yes, mm-hmm. they can't do that, but they're like affiliated, like they're they're ancillary more or less, and so like they can operate as free agents, but they still like report up. Mm-hmm. And so like Paulie is the guy that's basically telling them this is okay, this is not okay. So like when he's telling Henry, you cannot sell drugs because that's going to make life miserable for the rest of us if there's drugs being sold connected to any of us. Mm-hmm. That's his purview. But at the same time, it's not like these mafia families are telling them, you need to go rob the airport, you need to go steal this money from Lufthansa, whatever. That's these street-level guys coming up with their own scores, but they have to basically filter it through these guys that are kind of running the show. Gotcha. So, so it's, it's a tangled web. But is Polly made? I don't know that for sure. It seems like that's kind of the implication. Okay. And then, so get real nerdy for a second. Please. So it's kind of a, like, surf lord king type situation. So, like, Polly's a lord. Everybody yes. else. Actually, that's a good way to... Yes. Character, all the other characters. It's a very feudal are, society. And then okay. all, like, the all like the civilians that live in... This, yeah, too. all, like, they're, they're all people that, like... You know, he talks about early on when he's a kid that the way that it worked was, like, people that couldn't go to the police go to them. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know how familiar you are with the concept of, like, a protection racket. Right. That I was fairly familiar yeah. with. So that's more, that, that's kind of like the deal. It's like it's a live and let live kind of thing as long as everybody pays up when they mm-hmm. need to pay up. Um, Which was interesting because I feel like my familiarity was like, this is how the mafia works. They come to you if you have a successful business and say like, all right, you're going to pay us now because we live in this neighborhood. But mm-hmm. the way the movie shows it, and this is very in line with the way the movie shows the entire organization, but is is more like, no, people are coming to them and saying like, hey, man, you've got wild dogs running mm-hmm. around. I need you to to step in and protect my business. And, I feel and like then it, they end up running it into the ground. Yeah, and I feel like it goes both ways, too. I mean, it was like, again, it's it gets very convoluted. Like, they, they present so much of this all at once. It's like, it's it makes your head spin. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all in a very positive light, like, for the most part. More or less, But, like, yeah. the way Henry sees it is all very, like, yes. this is a family, it's a brotherhood, people come to us. I mean... Yes. Obviously, bad things are happening, and he's right. upfront about that. But which which brings me to my first major point is the idea of this mafia organization as presented as sort of like the ultimate boys club. Mm-hmm. It's like a fraternity. It's like um, you know, it's like how some people talk about when they were in the military. It's like it's this very insular organization where it's like the outside world practically doesn't exist. It's all just a bunch of losers and nobodies unless you're in this club. And I thought, like, that was kind of an interesting thing because, like, these... I feel like in the more modern era, the more the more popular way of looking at gang culture in general is that it's something you're kind of forced into because you don't have any other options. Mm-hmm. Even The Godfather kind of does that. It's like, oh, it's like this poor immigrant kid that didn't have anything any, anywhere else to go. And so, like, he ends up getting involved with these people he really doesn't want to get involved with and he just gets in too deep, blah, blah, blah. Um, up to today where it's, like, a lot of, like, the more dominant narrative that um, we hear... Especially in pop culture, is that like gangs are for people that don't have other options for whatever reason. This film makes it very clear that this is something that people want to be in. Right. Henry they specifically. Wish they could be. Yeah. Yeah. Very much the way I feel like, again, fraternities are presented in a lot of like the common narratives about like, you know, college lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Fraternities are short, is Greek letter organizations, specifically fraternities, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily true to life, but the way that it's like kind of presented. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, the way Henry talks about it in the voiceover, I mean, he says like they did whatever they wanted or, and, and then when he gets in, like that's what drew him to the lifestyle. He says, I was living a fantasy. I thought that was fascinating. Um, I, I, I don't think that that was ever something that I consciously latched onto, but it, 
I hear a lot of, like, mostly young men who say that they love this movie and they will openly admit that, like, it's there's something that draws them in as well, the same way that Henry gets drawn in. Right. And, you know, you, you I'm sure you saw that on display, just, like, the fact that, you know, the effect that it was having on Henry was very similar to, like, the effect it was kind of... It kind of tries to have on the audience, right? Right. No, that's actually exactly what I was going to say, is you feel that as an audience member. Like, I mean, it does seem great. Like, they've got a ton of money. They're just... You see them having fun, like, constantly. And there's this group of people that, like, cares about them deeply. Sure. Like, they are... I mean, <laughs> they'll kill them. But also, they're, they are a family. They're a brotherhood. And, like, Karen says repeatedly, like, no outsiders. Never yep. any outsiders. Like, everyone who's there, quote-unquote, belongs there. They are... You know, they are hanging out with the same group over and over again. And there is something enticing about having that, like, that group of people that just, like, you 100% belong in. You're Mm -hmm. not, like, you don't have to make yourself match. You don't have to blend your friend groups or your different parts of your personality. You are part of this crew. And, yeah, I mean, you can see why it's so enticing. Like, it's Mm -hmm. really effective at showing you, like, yeah, I mean, if it was exactly how he presents it at the beginning of the movie... That doesn't seem so bad at all. So there is one thing that I found out in my research that uh, does not get really played up in the movie as much as, like, in real life, Henry Hill wanted out from a very early period. Like, once, oh. he, once he got in, he was like, I, I... This is too much. Like, which... I don't know how much real? I believe that. Yeah, like, Interviews... once he was in FBI custody and, like... So... A, a, a clean witness or whatever he was Who like knows? I mean let's I be real it. here Witsec doesn't really care how much you wa- wanted to be a criminal or not they really it doesn't really make any difference to them it's like if you got information they want you can get into Witsec but anyway but Witsec? no witness protection oh I've never heard it called that that's I think that's what it's officially called but Ooh. anyway but anyhow yeah uh, that is and, and knowing that information made the first scene the actual first scene of the movie much more interesting to me because it was like the very opening when they're driving down the highway and they pull over and they got to kill the guy in the trunk, which you didn't know was coming. I don't remember what my first reaction to that was. Can you walk me through that scene real quick for you? That scene was incredible because I, I, that was some grade A writing because the whole time you see them, like there's bumps in the back of the trunk and I'm just like, oh my God, there's someone back there. But then they seem really freaked out. So I'm like, oh my God, like what? Like, you know, you think maybe there's a person in the trunk and they're going to be like, like, just ignore them or whatever. But they seem kind of freaked out. So they're like, what the fuck is that? And they pull over and there's a body in the trunk. But they're not shocked by the fact that there's a body in the trunk. They're shocked by the fact that the body is still alive in the back of the trunk. And that, oh my God, that was an amazing like bait and switch. That was, oh, I I was like hooked from that moment on. I was, the writer knew what they were doing. And the writing and also the editing was flawless by because like after they kill the guy, it's like voiceover. Long as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a gangster. Freeze frame, music, slam the trunk. It's like it's it, yeah. it, it cuts directly into like his child. It was great. So what I found interesting about it now was knowing that that was the moment where he got totally locked in because he is now accessory to a murder. Right. Prior to that. He was never involved with anybody getting killed. He knew about people getting killed, but he was never directly involved. So that, from what I have been led to understand now, was in the real life, Henry Hill, uh, that was the moment where he realized he was in too deep. Okay. Um, He could never, ever, ever get out. Um, Which, and it's interesting. It's it's funny because it's like, it's funny that that comes at the same time as him saying, I always wanted to be a gangster. Because it's like, well, you're in now, buddy. And you're, you get, you get, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was interested because like I I thought that um, you know the whole concept of just being able to this fantasy land of being able to do like whatever you wanted, it kind of spoke to me now in the same way. Like we talked a little bit about this when we talked about King of Kong a few weeks ago about like what does it mean? Like what are people visualize being powerful and at the top of the heap? What does that mean to you? And this is just another kind of example. It's like do people just like. When people want power, do they really just want the power to be an asshole with impunity? Like, I guess there is just some people that are like that. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like the they're whole, drawn to that idea. It's the whole idea of, like, absolute power corrupts absolutely, I feel like. But is that true? Would anyone with that kind of power... I totally believe that, like, if that is what you're brought in, up in and that's what 
you end up normalizing like we see with Karen even more than we see mm-hmm. with Henry like at the beginning she's kind of like oh like you just gave those two guys $20 each mm-hmm. and then when they're married and she's been in this life for a while like you see a couple moments of her at the beginning being like this is weird like I don't know mm-hmm. if I fit in here I don't really understand what's going on and then you see her get more and more comfortable like what I'm saying about the $20 and then sure. she's like yeah she has to go shopping and he's like how much do you want and she shows him the it amount, with her the, fingers physical yeah. space taken Stats up by money worth. yeah so even even more than you see Henry you see her kind of getting indoctrinated and feeling like this is just this is you know her moral north has changed so yeah no it's true and you know yeah she's an interesting character on her in her own right i mean she comes in about 30 minutes i always remember her like coming in like farther into the movie but like 30 minutes in is a pretty good way um but like yeah it's it's funny because like she gets all of this information thrown at her in much in the same way that we had in the 30 minutes leading up to her introduction. So like once she starts hanging out with Henry more, she talks about how like it makes her head spin and she felt like she was drunk because of meeting all these people and that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of how we feel <laughs> after the first 30 minutes of the movie. Cause we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Selling, now you're selling cigarettes. Now you're blowing up car. Like what is going on? Like, what is it you're actually, do- anyway. There is that part where Henry, you know, he gets arrested for the first time and he goes to court and everybody is like there to celebrate with him because everybody gets, everybody gets arrested. Yeah. But you took it like a man. You did it the right way. You didn't tell him anything, blah, blah, blah. And Polly has this line that I never really thought about until now. Um, but he like, he, as soon as he comes out, of, as soon as Henry comes out of the courtroom, Polly says, you broke your cherry. Which this time I took to mean you just got fucked by the law for the first time. Oh, interesting. And I I never really thought about it that way, but it's like, it's kind of, I don't know. I felt like that was something that was at one time a very like just douchebaggy kind of way to put it. But at the same, to put it mildly, but also like, I, I also felt as though like if that is the way that we're meant to read that, which whether we are or not, I, I felt like it was, it kind of tells you a little bit of like how... Uh, these guys view what they're doing. It's like, we know this is wrong, but it's really more of an inconvenience when like, that the fact that what we're doing is illegal more so than an actual like hindrance to us. It's like, oh yeah, everybody gets it once in a while, but you know, it's, it's a price of doing business, right? Right. I totally didn't, I didn't read the, like you got fucked by the law, but that is, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's like the cops are out to make your life a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? As if like, that's, that's the way that they're presenting it. It's like, they're not, you're not breaking the law. You're being normal. And these idiots over here, these, these jerks with badges, they're just trying to make your life obnoxious. I don't know though. I think it's even more than like, Oh, it's us versus them. They're just trying to make your life hard. I think it's just like, well, this is part of the process. Yeah. You know, you, if you got an office job, you got paperwork you don't want to do. If you're a gangster, you got uh, you you to go to, yeah, yeah. go to court. But because, yeah, even we see like Henry at one point says like nobody goes to jail unless they want to go to jail. Young, young, 21 year old baby face Henry. Hill yeah. says this, yes. 21, quote unquote. But he yeah, he, you know, their view of the law is basically like. Yeah, we've got, they say several times, like, Mm -hmm. we've got guys on the inside. Really, nothing happens that we aren't okay with. Yeah. You really don't have to worry about getting pinched too much. It's just, it's a minor inconvenience. And then the guys that we know will just let you go and you're fine. But then we get the part, though, further down the movie where he ends up going to jail for that witness intimidation or whatever it was. I don't remember exactly. Like, he gets arrested. Okay, so when he goes down to Tampa and he's trying to feed the guy to the lions. Right, yeah. The lions, yes. So he goes to jail. And that was a very interesting part of the movie because it's like, it shows two sides of the prison life very close together. The first, the living like kings part where they're like cooking up lobster. What prison was that? It just looked like a loft apartment. Federal I mean, federal prison. I mean, and apparently that was not too far off from real life as well for the people in that particular situation. Spatially, that didn't even look like a prison to right. me. Like I yes. didn't even no, I, I, recognize anything about... But you know. yeah, like cooking, like v- using like three different kinds of meat and the meatballs and slicing the garlic with a razor. Henry's wearing his 
fucking Adidas tracksuit looking yeah. like Run DMC. Oh my anyway, God. so there's that side to it. Like the like, you know, we're gonna feast like kings every night kind of a part of prison. But then also, while he's in jail, his family has no money because they've been cut off because they're, you know, the because Polly's on probation and he can't be involved with anything. Um, and so he has to resort to selling drugs in jail, which is against the rules of the gang of the, of the, of the hierarchy. So it's like, on the one hand, yeah, he's getting, like, really great, like, five-star meals every night. But at the same time, it's like he, his family has no money. When he comes back, they're living in basically, like, a one-room house, it seems like, with, like, bunk beds in the master bedroom for the kids to sleep in. Um, so it's interesting, because it's like, you, you're constantly getting Henry's, like, glossy, like, like, his dinner party version of what's happening. But then also seeing, you see that, but you also see the side that he's not really talking about like the right. less glance because there's no voiceover in the part when he sees the house that his family's been living in right you know the voiceover is only when he's in jail and he's talking about like they're listening they're listening to sinatra records and cooking and all this kind of stuff but then it's like the voiceover cuts out and you see the stuff that he's not telling you about right the it's his voiceover is effectively like the gangster handbook like More what you less, would yes <laughs> you, new recruits this is what you tell them but that's true we never see like his actual <laughs> opinion on things so much we don't he definitely doesn't talk too much about like the actual hard times yeah. of what the his recruiting going pitch, through. if you will. Yeah, exactly. It's like a pamphlet, but yeah, and um, you know, I, and I feel like again, it's it it kind of plays into the uh, like American audience's fascination with gangsters in movies, but also kind of comments on it by saying like, "Well, oh, this is the side you really don't see, though." You know, this is the unglamorous side along with like the part that you probably imagine. So, um, which is the part that I feel like a lot of these young male fans of this particular movie like very choosy in like what they they remember and take away from it you know much like fight club mm -hmm. it's like a lot of fans of the movie fight club take a very incorrect reading of the <laughs> film i feel like because it's like this movie is telling you something very specific which is that this is a bad idea and yet it does not end well and yet most of the fans of the movie are like no this is a very good idea okay good fellas i would say the same thing um, but you know, I digress. That's uh, that's that's. I was curious though about what your your thoughts on that might be. Well, I mean, not having seen a lot of the gangster movies, is this like is this a typical depiction? Because this kind of seemed to me like, wow, okay, I get why people would be enticed by this. This is a good life on the surface, and then you get into you know the difficult times. But it, as far as other depictions that someone who mm -hmm. like naturally would have seen this movie, of course has seen, is it, I would is say that's different gangster movies have an interesting history in the sense that they have never from the very earliest ones in the thirties, they have never actually been too celebratory of the lifestyle on the like overtly partly because in the early days you couldn't get a movie made about gangsters and let like you couldn't get past the censors unless it was had a moral that was always crime doesn't pay so the gangster always had to bite it at the end of the movie right um you know one way or another either you know down in a hail of bullets or whatever the more there always had to be like a moral that like crime doesn't pay and as it's gone on there's always been like you've always gotten a little taste of the dark side of it but you also get like that real like there are a lot of them especially like the ones in the 30s especially because there are so many of them very much like winking you know nudge kind of thing where it's like yeah crime doesn't pay but until the last five minutes it's awesome yeah. which i feel like goodfellas does in a big way although you get little tastes of how it's not so awesome sprinkled throughout as well um so typical kind of but um yeah i don't know it's i feel like this one kind of pushed a degree of realism that you that didn't really exist very much before but came became much more popular in movies after the fact so gotcha gangster movies in particular mm -hmm. moving along though now uh one thing that I, I feel like doesn't really get talked about too much about this movie is the women's perspective both like in, within the film itself and also like women watching the movie i am for this reason in particular right now, very glad that I have a woman co-host <laughs> to shed some light on this. So I'm not the one talking about this, but um, just as like a broad subject, I'm curious as to like what your thoughts on that were, if you had anything that like, that you thought of specifically that maybe I might not have when you were watching this film. Um, She has, I don't, yeah, I, I think she is our best kind of entree into this world. 
she's kind of the audience proxy for this whole movie, mm, I would Karen. say. Because yeah, yes. Karen, um, Henry's wife, because she is not used to this. Like you said, she's she's kind of behind us at yep. once she comes into the movie, but we are we are keeping track with her because she's getting more and more comfortable and we're also getting more and more used to how this world works. Um yeah, she is interesting because she also is kind of an interesting counterpoint to what Henry is saying. Mm-hmm. He, the way he presents everything is very straightforward and like, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. But then we see in other scenes that maybe that's not exactly what everyone is on board with. His whole like, Fridays are for the girlfriends. Yep. Like, that it he kind of presents it as like, well, this is the way it is. Everybody yeah. understood and we're all in agreement. And then you see her freaking out at his, um, his mistress so clearly she was not on board. And some of the things she says is like, oh, I know there's someone else. And you're like, wait, so you are kind of unsure that there's someone else right. clearly? Like, you you, you sound kind of surprised when he's, you know, everyone else is very open about the fact that there are several people mm-hmm. in their lives. But um, as far as like, I don't know, a feminist perspective, it's, there's some real abuse in there, which is... Without question. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. She has... It's kind of presented like he's interested in her because she is so, like, she's outspoken and she's strong. And when he blows her off for their second date, she comes and finds him and Mm -hmm. gives him what for. It turns around pretty quickly. So you're kind of like, uh, okay. You know, very easily persuaded. But It's, It's hard to say exactly what either of them finds particularly attractive about the other. Frankly, I, mean, I feel like there's not a lot of exploration into what exactly... Yeah, I, I agree with you that it, it is presented as though, like, that's something that, like, caught his attention. Um, and then also, you know, you get a little bit of her side of it when... And the scene after he beats up the guy across the street, which is an interesting scene because, you know, a lot a lot to unpack there, but... Especially to, the bad fight choreography. That is... The bad so, fight. No, he just beat uh, the living shit out of this guy's face with the butt of a gun. Yeah, but it just... It didn't work. He, the gun wasn't connecting and the sound effect was, like, too <laughs> loud. I don't know. It, that was... I was kind of like, oh, yeah. no. But at any rate, um, you know, he... After that, he comes back across the street, hands her the gun... And she, in her voiceover, says, like, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but, like, I had girlfriends who would have got out of there the second their girlfriend gave them a gun to hide, but it turned me on. I was like, okay, well, I get, it gives a little bit of an impression of, like, what her thought is about, like, why she's with this guy. But that seems like a very, like, juvenile and superficial kind of a thing that would have played a lot better if these played were at, by actual, like, 21-year-old actors. <laughs> but still. Yeah. But, That's a good point. I, I forgot about the 21-year-old part of that I was just like okay like this is because let's be honest she doesn't look 21 either like she doesn't no. look quite as old as Ray Liotta but like at any rate yeah um but yeah I, I I don't know I was I was interested in like what your thoughts were on that moment of the film in particular yeah I mean I I get it like he is clearly he's raw power which is what all the guys in this movie have been attracted to and she sees that in him and and is attracted to it. I mean I I get the appeal of someone who would like go to bat for you like mm-hmm. that but also you see where she's kind of like she's fallen into it she's seen what he can do and also you think acknowledges that like she she sees that he could do it to her like mm-hmm. i think that's what the kind of girlfriend comment is is that like anybody most of the people i know would have seen that this doesn't mean that this guy loves me this means that this guy is dangerous and would have gotten out and she doesn't see it that way but at the same time, kind of does. So I don't know. It's it's tricky. It's interesting that you use the word attractive also because that stuck out to me when... She, so he wakes up. Henry wakes up at one point mm-hmm. and she's on top of him with a gun going to kill him potentially. And then you hear her voiceover and she says like, oh, I knew in that moment I couldn't have killed him. Like even with how angry I was, mm-hmm. I was still attracted to him. Yep. And that was such a weird word to use in that moment. Like, you were attracted to him? That's what kept you from killing him? I don't know if you have more thoughts on that, but that, I was just like, wait, what? Like, that's the strong emotion that kept you from killing the man that you have a gun in his face? I think, you know, I didn't really think about it until right now when you brought it up, but I feel like that speaks a lot, because she gets seduced by the lifestyle as much as she does by, like, much more so, I feel like, than by Henry himself. But in that moment, I feel like when she says that, you know, I was still attracted to him, I think that speaks to, like, the high premium 
that the characters in this movie put on like superficiality. You know, I don't know that these two characters are in love in any traditional sense. They are together. They are ostensibly attracted to each other. They're on a ride together. They're they more have... or less. Yeah, they are more or less partners in a businessy sense. Because there's one thing she gets very upset at Henry, mm-hmm. but she never mentions a single thing about having a problem with the actual lifestyle. Oh, no, absolutely not. Ever. It's like not, it's a non-issue. Even once it goes from being like a total secret to like completely out in the open. Like she's involved with like smuggling cocaine into the the prison. Well, even before that, like when they're first married, they're living in her parents' house and her mom is like, well, what kind of husband stays out for nights at a time and like comes in home at 2 a.m. or whatever at 10 And she was basically like, I don't know. I don't care. At least, right. at least, she's, like, at least well, she's not as boring as dad was. So. Yeah, she doesn't have a problem with it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that's ever an issue. Mm-hmm. By the way, before I move on, I didn't really have any, I didn't really have any other place to drop this in, but um, I wanted to mention that, like, and while we're talking about, like, women's perspectives on this film, I remember very distinctly a while ago, many years ago, seeing this movie on Lifetime, which I thought was an odd choice. Interesting. Particularly because I doubt you would ever see, like, Steel Magnolias on Spike TV, you know, for example. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. And I was like, well, clearly there is somebody who thought um, there are clearly people who are uh, aware that this is a movie that has something to say that women are interested in, as, as uh, you know, as to to appear on a specifically geared toward women television channel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, no matter how you slice it, kind of an odd choice, but I, I, that always like stuck in my head and I thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah, that is strange. I mean, you got to wonder if it's just like, uh, they syndicated a bunch of stuff and they this came in the package. In but yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's any reason a woman can't enjoy this movie. Certainly not. But it is definitely... I would, I would hard press to call it a movie specifically for women though yeah there is really nothing in this movie to model yourself after (laughs) that i think i think men kind of see potentially like a oh okay i could yeah there's there's parts of that that i enjoy i'm not sure it's it's an interesting choice to follow back-to-back golden girls reruns you know what i mean (laughs) but anyway I, i just thought that was an unusual uh thing that happened um Let's move on a little bit more to, like, structure and style in this film. Like, we talked a little bit about the episodic format, how it's, like, a lot of th- seemingly disconnected things happen. But if you are... I watched this movie with subtitles this time because I knew that the dialogue was so dense. And so, like, that helped me a lot in tracking, like, what was going on. And the causality from one scene to the next is pretty tight, actually. Mm-hmm. Although you never know it because they spit out so much more dialogue than you know, a leaner screenplay would have right. to kind of give you that immersion. Mm-hmm. So even if you're not necessarily following the plot, I feel like you get immersed in it. Right. Even trying to keep up with like the breakneck pace and like the really fast, fast, fast. Like this, it's two and a half hours, but this flick moves. It really does. Like, yeah, I, like I've said, not a big long movie <laughs> person, but it did move fast. And I think with how dense the dialogue was, it actually was very, they don't ever, or they don't usually come out and straight say things Mm-mm. sometimes in the voiceover but it's, it's usually buried in between like names 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 like right. Frenchie did this at the airport and Johnny Carbono's over here and it's like who the hell are these people yeah and then they'll drop something that's actually very important to the plot and that's <laughs> I think that kind of comes with the whole style that it, it's kind of it's it's meta in a way because <laughs> Ray Liotta says at one point like when you're in a business like this like no one tells you they're going to kill you. Right. They come to you as a friend with a smile and, you, and you're and you dead. Yep. And he says that in a couple different ways of like, oh, I knew they were cops because they were making so much noise. If it would have been Goodfellas, I just would have been dead. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have heard a thing. So I, I think the movie is very much like that too. There's a lot of talking, but very little is actually said outright it's it's the little things it's a and ton the of way small they cut talk. it together. Yeah. And it, I feel like that definitely feeds into the kind of the mission of this movie, which is less to tell a straight story than to really fully immerse you into this world, mm-hmm. um, at which I think it is very successful. Um, and I think that is like one of the things that really makes this movie stand out among other gangster movies is that it's very interested in like bringing you in in a way that you can honestly feel like you understand it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is definitely helped a lot by like, I mean, the fast, it's weird because it's like the very naturalistic presentation is kind of 
juxtaposed with like the very flashy editing style. Yeah. Um, a lot of freeze frames, especially at the beginning. A lot of um, weird like cross cutting and things like that toward the end. Um, a lot of like flashy music picks too. The music is very prominent in this. Yes. Like you, I, I'm a person who usually like, I couldn't tell you if there was music playing for the last <laughs> like 10 minutes in a movie, but this, you, you've heard every track. It's like front and center. Yeah. And it's, and it's great. Like the soundtrack is superb. Like one of the best I can think of off the top of my head. A lot of that, um, like 1960s, like Phil Spector stuff at the beginning, which I thought was an interesting choice, particularly in the one, again, one of the most famous scenes in the movie, the Steadicam shot when they're going through the kitchen at the Copacabana, mm-hmm. when Henry and Karen are. I wanted to get your impression on that before I actually, like, before we actually, like, discuss it. Like, when you first saw that, had you heard of this scene, and what was your actual impression of, like, of watching it? Oh, was they were walking through the kitchen to mm-hmm. get through? Um, I actually didn't. I'm sure, thinking of it now that you've brought it up like that, I, yes, I totally see how that has been probably replicated in a lot of movies. I've seen that in a lot of movies mm-hmm. and I could see how this would be, this was the first. Um, I didn't have, I mean, I think it was effective at showing like they get in wherever they want and probably through means that are not the way everyone else has to get in. But um, I didn't have any super specific thoughts about it. Interesting. Well, I got some thoughts about it. <laughs> no, I I love that shot. Like, the, the the setup is that this is after Henry has stood up Karen for their second date, and he's like, "I'll make it up to you." After she comes and shouts at him on the street, which is kind of a funny scene too, because like all the guys are like razzing about having this crazy woman come and like scream at him on the sidewalk in the middle of the night. Um, but then it's like the very next scene is like they he dropping off his car keys for some valet or whatever. And it's a long steady cam shot through. They see the line outside the Copacabana nightclub, and he leads her through the back service entrance, through the kitchen, and the Mater D brings a table to the front, right in front of the stage, for them to sit down at. And he knows them by name, and Henry knows everybody that works there. So it's a very intangible thing, I feel like, that makes it special. But I feel like with the music in particular, like if that's not, if that had not had any music or maybe even, I can't, I don't know about a different song, but if it had no music, it would not have had as much of an impact, sure. I feel like. It is, it's a fairy tale sequence. It, like it, you see how she's bingo. getting whisked away. Bingo, exactly, exactly right. That is her, it, it's like a debutante scene where she is being brought through this very long buildup, and once you come out into that room bathed in red light, it's like magic right. in a weird, bizarre way. And even though we know the shitty people that Henry has been dealing with for like the first like forty-five minutes of the movie up to this point, when that happens, you are absolutely brought to the same place that Karen is, which is she is just overwhelmed with how awesome this looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and who is this guy? But again, that music part, I feel like, just from like a strictly auditory level, it's perfect choice. It sounds great. It supplements what's happening perfectly. Um, But in the song, for those who are living under a rock and don't know what I'm talking about, please look up this scene. You can find it on YouTube. But it's And Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals. Um, Again, a um, Phil Spector song. And listen to it right now. Please do. Anyway. um, (laughs) But it's a perfect choice. It's, and I realized again, this is something I never would have thought of before as a younger person, but now it, it, it's interesting to me. Because, like, how much do you know about Phil Spector, the person? Um, I know he produced a lot of really famous records during that time, and I know he was a total asshole. He was a complete monster. Like, beating up women, think he shot his wife. Like, Oof. you know, like. Oh, that's right. He's the one. Uh, murdered his wife, I believe. I don't think that was it. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. He's a, yeah, real piece of shit. A violent piece of shit at that. But, like, that's why I feel like this song is kind of perfect. And I don't know if this is on purpose. I don't know if any of that stuff was well known to, like, Martin Scorsese at the time this movie was made. But it's like, the music itself, it's intoxicating and flashy and it makes you feel good. But it's all made possible by this guy who is a violent monster much in the same way that this mafia lifestyle is very flashy and intoxicating. It makes you feel good, but very shallow underneath the surface. There's a lot, there's intimidation and murder and just beating people up and like ripping people off and stuff like that. I wonder if Martin Scorsese knew that and was intentionally doing that to like make a subconscious connection. Yeah. I choose to believe that. Yeah, that's I think a beautiful that's really- metaphor. Like it, it is accurate because I think there are some like scenes of 
really intense normalized violence mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that impressed me during the film was just like yeah these people like on the surface it's all family and love and these fl- this flashy life and stuff but they are capable of just some really cruel awful things that they walk away from two minutes later like yeah. it's it's just these moments of really really cruel acts and then it's business as usual yeah. so I yeah no I I hope that's true because that is very very fitting yeah so that was that's a scene that's like it's, it's really hard to break down exactly why it works but it's just a great excellent like it's like a pure cinema thing it's like that long steady cam shot and it just fits now the other one uh, that I uh, particular scene farther down the line, also dealing with Henry and Karen's relationship in a certain way, was the infamous cocaine sequence, which has like thirty songs crammed into it, where you see the helicopter. Oh, the like one day the where the one, helicopter yes. falls. Yeah, that, that was. was a lot. God, I, I felt like I had to pause and catch my breath after that scene, <laughs> even after knowing exactly what happens. I was curious about your impressions on that one as well. Yeah, that one was like. It was exactly the, like, detail overload. Like, they give you the date and time, like, where they are and stuff. And I was like, wait, do I need to know that this is at 11.03 and this is at 1.30 p.m. and all this stuff? And it's, they're both addicted to cocaine at this point, Karen mm-hmm. and Henry. And you feel, it's so, it's so weird because they're, like, there's these normal life things. Like, he has to bread the chicken cutlets. And that's, he's giving you this laundry list of things that happen over the course of the day. And included in that are the basic the steps to make the dinner that he's making yes. for his family. So Which I've always wanted I've always wanted to try that recipe. <laughs> the good fellows yeah. like just follow good it. Good fellows feel cutlets, meatballs with gravy and yeah, I always want to try it, but that's gotta be somewhere. Gotta like they've be. gotta have transcribed that. But yeah, so it's it's frantic and I do as we're talking about it, I'm realizing how well this movie makes you feel the things that the characters feel or like it really indoctrinates you with everyone else so you're feeling kind of like shit where's that helicopter coming from like, yeah. what does that mean what is who are these people is, is Henry this, paranoid like, is that a real helicopter right. to worry about like you don't know either and it's yeah. driving you crazy while you're watching it well yep. you gotta worry about gotta get these guns to Jimmy gotta cook dinner gotta pick up Michael from physical therapy gotta get the shipment gotta get ready get the shipment ready to go this all this all this while he's well aware that he's doing something that if Polly found out he would be killed. Like Henry knows that, so he's got to worry about the cops. He's got to worry about the the guys that he works with. You know, so much going on. And again, it's like the flip, the other side of the coin of the Copacabana scene, where it's like one fluid camera movement, one song, one thing is happening that you got a lot of time to marinate on, and then a few years later totally different scenario now it's like everything is happening all at once all over the place it's too much for henry to handle now too it's 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 craziness and again i feel like the music really helps that as well because it is like there's so many songs going on all at the same time it's like a weird mashup medley thing going on um it's craziness it's 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 just true insanity and it all like it just comes to a head with him getting arrested right and the movie concludes like pretty quickly after but that. It, it like, comes to a screeching halt yeah. after that. Um, I, the other scene that I thought was really effective and surprised me with how much I felt it was when you find out that uh, that Tommy gets killed. Because mm-hmm. the whole movie, basically since Tommy has been an adult, I feel like they set him up to be like, this guy's going to get killed by his own people. This guy is yep. a wild dog and he's a liability. He's going to get killed. And I was like, you know what? Yeah fucking kill him he's he's killed a kid he has murdered all these people in cold blood for really no good reason except for his ego exactly and so you're like yeah this guy's gonna die and that's just the way it needs to happen but then when he actually does die it's like the most touching movie or touching scene of the movie you feel you feel it because you see and that's another like it's it's kind of an it's a it's a unique achievement in itself to like show you for two solid hours how shitty this specific person is Mm -hmm. and you still it it does it hits you right in the gut when he realizes at the last second oh no they're gonna kill me right now and then when jimmy finds out like his best friend Mm -hmm. and he's affected by it you know it's like it's a it is a testament to like the movie and the way it immerses you to like show you exactly how bad this guy in particular is and yet when he gets killed you do feel something yeah 
And that's, you know, it. I that's something that really surprised me, too, was that when Jimmy finds out who is Robert De Niro, he cries. And yeah. I was not expecting to see Robert De Niro cry right. in this movie. For how, like, how macho and bro-y this movie is, there is a ton of male affection. But did you happen to notice in that exact same scene when he's out in the parking lot and he's crying and Henry comes out, did you happen to see what Henry's response was? Jimmy's, like, Jimmy's, oh, cr- Jimmy's crying openly. Uh-huh. Like this grown man murderer is crying yeah. openly in the parking lot of a diner. Henry, who's known him for ye- decades at this point, he his reaction to that is exactly the opposite. It's like, it is the bro-y thing, which is like, he doesn't know what to do. Uh-huh. He's, he's like, puts his hands on his hips. He's like looking around. He reaches up briefly touches Jimmy's shoulder and then then like almost like recoils he's like I don't know if that's the right move and it's like that's his like consoling thing it's like he it's you know normal people that'd be a good moment for like a hug you know what I mean like yeah, he was, you know you know this guy for like 20 years it's yeah. like appropriate to hug him when his best friend died he doesn't know how to like he can't bring himself to be like I don't know physically intimate I guess even with like his best friend it's crazy it's weird what I guess I don't know I I feel like that's more of a Henry was just never super comfortable with the this crew I just I don't know the fact that the level of emotion was already so well above what I ever would have expected from a movie like this but yeah that's fair I don't know yeah I don't know how to make sense of that one I I don't I mean I might be digging too deep into this particular thing but like I agree with you I think that that you know I don't think that takes away from the emotion of the film but I do think that it does say something about Henry's character where it's like Jimmy's all in mm-hmm. Henry thinks he's all in yeah he's he's not as like he's in it more or less for kicks you know right whereas with Jimmy it like he it's he's he's in it to win it more or less <laughs> this is he's he was born in the dark effectively more or less yeah um, i feel like that's a good which way to i do it. think you also see that maybe in uh in henry's laugh i was trying to figure out i this is making a lot of sense to me but every time you see ray Liotta laugh and this may just be how he laughs it is <laughs> disturbing it is he, very theatrical <laughs> what it reminds me of is in jim carrey's how the grinch stole christmas the, his version, the moment where he like realizes his heart is growing or whatever, and he like starts crying, <laughs> and, yeah, like yeah, open yeah, mouth, yeah. like oh, 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 oh. like every time Henry laughs, it's like that. It's like this open mouth, almost sobbing, and he laughs a lot. He laughs <laughs> a lot of times, where you know maybe other characters aren't laughing. So I think it, it's that he is there for kicks. He's not a hundred percent like he never truly felt like he belonged. So he's just gonna kind of. He's, right along. He says he's there for the lifestyle, but is he really, I think, is a question that kind of gets posed in the undercurrent of this film frequently. It's like, he says he's he says he's all in. Right. But how seriously did he take that, like, brotherhood oath more, you know, like, figuratively, so to speak? That was not an actual scene in the movie. You didn't forget. Right, right, right. But um, there, it's funny you mentioned the laughing part because there is a, um, a, a gif that I found years ago on the internet of just, like, a supercut of Ray Liotta laughing in Goodfellas that is uh, terrifying and hilarious so at the same time. I'm going to post it on our Facebook page. And with this, like, great. big eyelashes and everything. His eyelashes are out of control. There was a lot of like scream crying too, which (laughs) by the end I was kind of like, oh God, please stop. Like, oh, that is one thing I meant to say during our our feminism discussion. Please. The fact that Karen apologizes every time Henry like freaks out at her for basically like standing up to him, even though sometimes her standing up to him is I'm sorry for almost killing you is reasonable in a I, I would say no no this man is abusive she every time every time he freaks back out at her like I not to I don't want to go too deep into this but like she literally is doing the best she can sure. with these situations she is complicit she is not a perfect character or a perfect image for any of this but she she has moments of sticking up for herself where she says like I'm not going to take any more of this and then he overpowers her and she right. apologizes to That's him. That's true. And that, that was hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Especially it's, because, like, he never, he never, like, actually, we never see him, like, hit her or anything like that. But, like, 
No. Punching the wall, throwing the lamp. I was like, ooh. No, boy, oh he, boy. when she puts the gun in his face, she he throws her against the dresser and holds her by her hair. That counts. That's true. And that was like, and then she's like scream crying and apologizing right. to him. And you're just like, ooh, like mm-hmm. not, not a pretty life. His excuse was especially weak because he was like, I got to deal with this kind of shit out on the street every day. I don't need to deal with it here. I'm like. This was literally the lifestyle that you wanted since you were a young, young 21-year-old boy. Yeah, that's your that's your choice. Uh, even before that, when he was yes. a young, young someone else, whatever. <laughs> it's funny because, like, he, Ray Liotta, is so much older than 21, and yet that kid, I think he was playing, like, 11. Oh, yeah. And that kid was, like, 15 years old. <laughs> I was like, get yeah. that kid to play 21-year-old Henry Hill and find, like, a smaller child who looks like <laughs> Ray Liotta to play. Anyway, whatever. They didn't have the budget for that. Whatever. Um, but yes, I, I, I agree with you. I feel like that was, uh, that was, uh, pretty insane. All right. So we're getting pretty close to the end here. Um, I don't know how much, like how familiar you are with like Martin Scorsese's work overall. Um, familiar. He makes very long movies. He does make very long movies. So I haven't seen a lot of them, but I am I got a few more on the list, but anyway. (laughs) I mean, I should see them. I, I would like to see them. I need someone to tell me that you must see them. Sure, sure. Well, I will be happy to be that person at some point, just not my next choice sure um i i was thinking about this like is this his best movie i would honestly say it might be um there are other famous movies that he's known for i feel like if you had to distill his entire career down to one movie this would be the one that i would say if you like this movie you should watch more martin scorsese movies i yeah i think 50 years from now 100 years from now whatever this is going to be the movie that he's remembered for mm-hmm. there's a couple of quick things like it's got can like goodfellas has like a few connections to some of his later movies in particular like um the scene in the copacabana scene it ends with his um with uh, with the music cuts out and it's got Henny Youngman the comedian mm-hmm. um, going into jokes and that bleeds over into the next scene of like a heist at the airport mm-hmm. so in the pilot to Boardwalk Empire which he which Martin Scorsese directed mm-hmm. um, there is a, a scene that does almost the same thing where it cuts between a comedy routine on stage and people laughing and you hear that and it cuts back and forth between seeing that and seeing uh, the cops raiding a house and it's Great, and I feel like he took that seed of an idea and blew it up big time and made it even better. Uh-huh. Um, but the big connection I feel like, and we will definitely talk about this someday, is that I feel like the Wolf of Wall Street is more or less a remake of Goodfellas oh, in a very noticeable way. Which, when we eventually talk about that movie, we can dig into more. But for now. I wanted to get to your final thoughts before we completely wrap up here. Anything that we didn't touch on that you were interested in kind of bringing up? Um, let me see. Let me check my notes because there's there's a lot to this movie. There's and a ton. We could spend hours talking about this movie alone. We really could. It's uh, yeah, there was a lot there. Um, I don't. I was really impressed, and I know I've said this, but just the <clears throat> the way this movie manipula- manipulates your emotions mm-hmm. is really effective. The crazy 70s decor is also <laughs> oh, on God. point. <laughs> the shit people spend their money on in this movie is All the apartments you see is just insane. Um, I don't, we may, I, I'm sure there are things on things that, oh, yes. I just thought of this scene like real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 I just no. thought of the scene. The other famous scene that I, I was curious about your thoughts on was um, the one where they're finding all the bodies and it's it's to the, the piano outro from Layla. Yes, I had a question about that. Who is Frenchie? Frenchie was the guy that worked at the airport. He was like a security guy at the airport who got them the Air France heist near the beginning of the movie that was the one that was like right after the date of the Copacabana. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that got them into uh, get the, the cash that had that had been dropped off uh, in the locker there. And he was also the guy that was like involved in um, getting them uh, past security at the for the Lufthansa heist, which okay. we did not see. We only hear about by reputation. Right. That's another interesting choice. By the radio, yeah. Um... Okay, because just with his dead body, he looked kind of like um, at Joe Pesci. And I was like, wait a minute, did he kill Joe Pesci? And then you find out he's getting made mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But um, that, I mean, it was cool. And it was also interesting because we've seen them go to such lengths to get rid of any evidence of right. murder. And then at this point, it's just like, leave he is leaving them for yeah. them to be found. They are, it's literally on a meat truck yep. where you know they're going to open it up and find this like frozen man. And in a garbage truck. Yeah. So it's kind of the moment where you're like, oh, 
this is going to wrap up pretty soon. Like, yeah. there's, there's not much left to this. And it's, it's interesting because, like, they tell you in the voiceover that Jimmy is the one that killed all these people. Right. But... Again, more all to the the mission of like making this lifestyle appear glamorous and downplaying like the the bad parts. It's like you never see him do any of it. It's like he should be in total serial serial killer mode at this point, frankly. Yeah. But you never actually see any of that because it's like you got to keep up that illusion, the Jimmy the Gent kind of thing going. That you never actually see him do any of that stuff. So yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting choice. And with the music, I don't know. It's another one of those intangible things that just clicks. Like that was yeah. a perfect choice. Um, it's iconic. Yeah, but that's again, that's that's one of those moments where it's like that's kind of when you really think about it. That's another instance of Henry kind of recognizing, like, yeah, uh, nobody's safe. Nobody is safe in this lifestyle. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, that was the scene that I couldn't think of earlier. So with that, um, I am very glad that you like this movie. Would you recommend it? Absolutely. I actually would give this five out of five stars. Fantastic. That's yeah. what I like to hear. Cool. Well, um, I think that's going to just about do it for this film. What do we have to look forward to next week? Okay. So, next week's movie, three roommates cling to their old school ways when a fourth comes into the picture with some modern ideas. Is this, is this the TV show New Girl? Oh, it is not. It's basically Flight of the Concords as a modern fantasy piece. Um, it may be the newest movie we've done so far, uh, mm. and as a kind of a counterpoint to today's movie, it's just pretty much straight up silly, and that's why it's so lovable. Uh, Kay, have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? I have not seen that, but uh, I hear nothing but great things about it. It's fantastic. Taika Waititi is the director and also <laughs> and also one of the stars, and he is now known for Thor and some other I think he's on track to do some other pretty big movies I'm not sure which they are what they are but he's having a major like moment right now but this is one of his um actually one of his shorts that he adapted into a feature-length film and it stars Jermaine Clement from Fight of the Concords uh Reese Darby also shows up at one point it's fantastic but we'll see what you think I'm actually very excited to watch it because this is something I've been aware of for a long time but it's just you know as you well know, these things get lost in the shuffle. So you know? I'm, I'm excited to actually have a specific motivation to watch it this week. So um, awesome. Well, I cannot wait to watch it and I cannot wait to discuss it with you. But uh, until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. And we will see you next time. See you.